Aren't you thankful for that love this morning? Unconditional. No strings attached. Not like the world. The world has so many conditions on whether they like you, much less love you. But God's love is so amazing. His grace, His love, and we're so thankful for that. From judgment to glory is our study of the book of Ezekiel. I encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles. We're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 4 and chapter 5 today. Chapter 4 and 5 of Ezekiel. Old Testament prophet. He was a priest by occupation and then called by God to be a prophet and then named by God a watchman. And today we continue with his role in trying to bring the people of Israel back, causing them to repent, causing them to get back and follow God. So if you have your place there open in Ezekiel chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, would you stand so that we may honor the reading of God's Word? Ezekiel 4, beginning at verse 1. Now you, son of man, take a brick, set it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege against it, construct a siege wall, build a ramp, pitch military camps, and place battering rams against it on all sides. Take an iron plate, set it up as an iron wall between yourself and the city. Turn your face toward it so that it is under siege and besiege it. This will be a sign for the house of Israel. Then lie down on your left side and place the iniquity of the house of Israel on it. You will bear their iniquity for the number of days you lie on your side. For I have assigned you the years of their iniquity according to the number of days you lie down, 390 days. So you will bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. When you have completed these days, lie down again, but on your right side, and bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days, a day for each year. You must turn your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared and prophesy against it. Be aware that I'll put cords on you so you cannot turn from side to side until you have finished the days of your siege. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts. Moved by the power of Your Holy Spirit, show us today how we can apply this Old Testament prophecy to the people of Israel, to us today. How does it fit? How does it apply to America or to us as individuals? God, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would move, convict, encourage, do whatever it needs to do today in the hearts of the people, and that we not only be hearers of Your Word, but that we would be doers. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, You may be seated. I'm going to continue reading, picking up in verse 9. Also take wheat, barley, beans, lentils, uh, millet, spit, spiked. Put them in a single container and make them into bread for yourself and you are to eat it during the number of days you lie on your side, 390. The food you eat each day will be eight ounces by weight. You will eat it from time to time. You are also to drink water by measure, a sixth of a gallon, <clears throat> which you will drink from time to time. You will 
Eat it as you would a barley cake and bake it over dried human excrement in their sight. The Lord said, this is how the Israelites will eat their bread ceremonially, unclean, among the nations. I will banish them. But I said, this is Ezekiel's response, Oh Lord God, I have never been defiled from my youth until now. I have not eaten anything that died naturally or was mauled by wild beasts and impure meat has never entered my mouth. He replied to me, look, I'll let you use cow dung instead of human excrement, and you can make your bread over that. Then he said to me, son of man, I'm going to cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They will anxiously eat bread rationed by weight and in dread drink water by measure. So they will lack bread and water. Everyone will be devastated and waste away because of their iniquity. Uh, Ezekiel is given a very hard task. I've told you people don't like prophets. I've told you people don't like uh, when they're confronted with their sin and things that, that, uh, that are revolting as we read here in Scripture about the use of dung for fuel, which by the way, even in this day and age in the Middle East is still a common thing. Uh, they, they actually do use animal waste as a fuel source But it is supposed to be revolting. And when you read it in Scripture and it causes you to cringe, what God was trying to do here is to elicit the same response over sin, over iniquity. You'll cringe. You'll say, ugh, disgusting over something like that. But what about the sin in your life? What about the sin you tolerate? What about those things that God says is an abomination, but our culture and the Israelite culture had said, oh, let's promote this. Let's... Let's prompt this. Let's, let's uh, act as if this is not a sin. Ezekiel is told to take a tile or a brick and to sketch the city of Jerusalem on it. Now, by the way, <clears throat> these tiles throughout the Middle East are discovered all the time during archaeological digs. And these tiles were used to mark dates. They would inscribe on this stone clay tile or brick a date, a king's name, a significant event. And all the time, even to this day, they'll be digging an archaeological dig and they'll find a tile and it'll have a king's name on it. And it'll verify what the Bible has, uh, has told us. And so Ezekiel's told to take a tile, sketch the city of Jerusalem on it, and then act as a wall between God and Jerusalem. He was instructed to lie on his side for a certain number of days. And a lot of this seems odd to us, but here's what I want you to realize. He is symbolically, as the prophet of God, bearing the iniquity of the people of Israel. He's lying on his side for a subscribed number of days or prescribed number of days, and he is told that you will bear the iniquity. So why 390 days? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) 390 days. If you add up the kings of Judah or Israel from Rehoboam to Zedekiah, which is laid out for you, by the way, in First and Second Kings, it gives you the name of all the kings and how long they reigned. <clears throat> if you add them up from Rehoboam to Zedekiah, it comes to 394 years. <clears throat> 394 years. So during Rehoboam, you might not know this, but according to 2 Chronicles chapter 11, during the reign of Rehoboam, the people of Israel followed God for over three years. 
<clears throat> so for over three years, they were obedient. They were following God. For over three years during Rehoboam, they followed God. But yet, you subtract out those three years of obedience, and there's roughly 390 years of rebellion. For 390 years, the house of Judah is rebelling. They are against God. Their kings misled them. They turned to pagan cultures, and they allowed these other cultures to influence them. This is why, by the way, it is important that we as Christians... You as a Christian parent, a Christian grandparent, a Christian employee, a Christian employer. It is important that you preserve what you believe, the principles that we adhere to, the Word of God that is our foundation. It is important to stick to that and not allow the influences of pagan cultures and worldly influences to affect you. We get this watered-down gospel that means literally nothing. Because we've been so influenced to lower our standards so that everybody else can feel comfortable. That's not what God calls us to do. This is our standard. This is our plumb line. We don't lower the standard of God to make you or me feel more comfortable. We keep the standard the same so that there is conviction when we do wrong. So that there is conviction when we're not following God. For 390 years... God, watch this, was patient. I know a lot of times when we look at the Old Testament, we say, man, he's angry. No, he was patient. Mm -hmm. For 390 years, he tolerated this. And then finally, he said, no more. And so Ezekiel would lie on his side a day, symbolically, for every year of Israel's rebellion. A day... For every year of Israel's rebellion. 390 days to represent the 390 years. And as he's lying on his side, he is symbolically taking on the iniquity of Israel. Listen to me. God will find a way. God will find a way to get your attention. If wandering out in the desert doesn't get your attention... If wandering out there uh, in the desert doesn't cause you to be broken and come back to God, if being exiled doesn't work, then he'll find something else. And let me tell you what he found here. I'm going to affect their bread. How many of you know that if you really want to get on somebody, you affect either their pocketbook or their bread? Amen? You affect either their, their wallet or their groceries. He says, I'm going to defile their bread. They went from a land flowing with milk and honey. They had an overabundance of everything. Israel is a blessed land. They went from that land flowing with milk and honey to nasty, defiled bread. Scarcity. You remember empty shelves? You remember during COVID? (coughs) Prescriptions that the doctor wrote for you, but the pills that couldn't be filled? Yep. Toilet paper. We went to stores and there were empty shelves and we couldn't get things that we were so used to getting. The supply chain was disrupted and we as Americans are used to going five minutes down the road and getting what we want anytime we want. I mean, it's always available. But when we, you walked in and you saw empty shelves, it was almost like culture shock. And we needed that. We needed to not take for granted the supply chain. 
to not take for granted vitamins and other things. Oh, by the way, do you know one of the biggest lessons learned from coronavirus? <laughs> one of the biggest lessons learned, and this is according to experts and government leaders, is we were too dependent on products from China. And because of the supply chain disruption, then the reason why the shelves were empty is because everything was being supplied from China. 90%, 90%, I read this, I was like, that can't be right. 90% of vitamin C that was supplied pre-2020 came from China. We can't get vitamin C from somewhere else. Oh, and by the way, these electric vehicles that you love and that you want to drive and the government is pushing you towards, yeah, those batteries, China! We're going to be even more dependent on China instead of the oil that's under your feet, instead of the gas that's so easily accessible. We're going to be more dependent on lithium and on these batteries. When people's pocketbook our groceries are affected, yep. it wakes them up. God is going to get your attention one way or the other. And they would go from a land flowing with milk and honey to scarcity, to defiled bread. All of this was to break their hearts. It may seem revolting, it may seem disgusting, but God was doing this to lead them to repentance. Israel had defiled God. They had disobeyed him. They had offended him. And because of that, there would be consequences. Famine. Suffering. You know, outside of the Great Depression, which I do not minimize and I do not, uh, uh, I'm not in any way trying to take away from it, our country has been a blessed and prosperous nation. And with the exception of the Great Depression, most people don't know. Most people in America do not know what it's truly like to live in poverty. Do you realize that those who live below the poverty line in the United States of America are still richer than 87% of the world's population? We really don't understand and appreciate what we have until it's taken away. Ezekiel chapter 5 beginning at verse 1. Now you, son of man, take a sharp sword. Use it as you would a barber's razor. And shave your head and beard, then take a set of scales and divide the hair. You're to burn up a third of it in the city when the days of the siege have ended. You're to take another third and slash it with a sword all around the city. And you're to scatter another third in the wind, for I will draw sword to chase after them. <clears throat> but you are to take a few strands from the hair and secure them in the folds of your robe, a remnant to save. I have a baby book in one of my closets at the house, and in that baby book is a little envelope with a stamp on it from a specific barber shop, and it still has the luxurious locks of blondish hair, believe it or not, from when I was a little baby, in that little envelope. A remnant, just a little sample of baby hair. <clears throat> Take some of them, throw them into the fire and burn them in it. A fire will spread from it to the whole house of Israel. <clears throat> this is what the Lord God says. I have set this Jerusalem, pay attention, 
and the center, and the center of the nations with countries all around her. But she has rebelled against my ordinances with more wickedness than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries that surround her. For her people have rejected my ordinances and have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says, because you have been more insubordinate than the nations around you. You've not walked in my statutes or kept my ordinances. You have not even kept the ordinances of the nations around you. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. See, I am against you, Jerusalem, and I will execute judgments within you in the sight of the nations. Because of all your detestable practices, I will do to you what I've never done before and what I'll never do again. As a result, fathers will eat their sons within Jerusalem, and sons will eat their fathers. <clears throat> I will execute judgments against you and scatter all your survivors to every direction of the wind. Therefore, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God, I'm going to cut you off and show you no pity, because you have defiled my sanctuary. With all your detestable practices and abominations, yes, I will not spare you. A third of your people will die by plague, and be consumed by famine within you, and a third will fall by the sword all around you. And I will scatter a third to every direction of the wind and draw a sword to chase after them. When my anger is spent and I have vented my wrath on them, I will be appeased. Then after I have spent my wrath on them, they will know that I, Yahweh, have spoken in my jealousy. I will make you a ruin and a disgrace among the nations around you in the sight of everyone who passes by. So you will be a disgrace and a taunt, a warning and a horror to the nations around you when I execute judgments against you in anger, wrath, and furious rebukes. I, Yahweh, have spoken. When I shoot deadly arrows of famine at them, arrows for destruction that I will send to destroy you, inhabitants of Jerusalem, I will intensify the famine against you and cut off your supply of bread. I will send famine and dangerous animals against you. They will leave you childless, Jerusalem. Plague and bloodshed will sweep through you, and I will bring a sword against you. I, Yahweh, have spoken. Ezekiel was a priest. If you know anything about Jewish priests, they're never to cut their hair, and they're never to cut their beard. <clears throat> and yet he's told, as this prophet, to cut it off with a sword. It's another unusual thing. You don't normally cut your hair with a sword. But this was to symbolize a battle. This was to symbolize an attack against Israel. And when you <coughs> shave or when you cut your hair in ancient biblical times for a man, specifically a prophet, <coughs> that was a sign of mourning, grief, deep sorrow, deep absolute disgust and mourning. Cut it with a sword. And then divide the hair, one-third would be burned up, one-third would die from the sword, and one-third would be scattered in the wind. But notice he's told to save a remnant. God is always looking, always looking for a remnant that will follow him and that will be faithful no matter what. <clears throat> God's placed Israel. I don't know the last time you looked at a globe, but God has placed Israel at the center of the globe. Geographically, it's where Europe, Africa, and Asia merge. <clears throat> Jerusalem specifically 
It's called the apple of his eye. And yet Israel had defiled God. And there would be some consequences. I mentioned earlier, a lot of people say, I don't like that Old Testament. I don't like that wrath. Listen to me. A God that is worthy of our worship. A God that is worthy of our adoration is also all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, and He is a jealous God. A God that is worthy of our worship and adoration is an all-powerful, almighty El Shaddai. And He is not some genie in a bottle as if, as if you can just tell Him what you want, He'll grant it, and then just leave you be. That's not the God that you worship. And if it is, that's a false God. That's an idol that you've created. That is not the God. That is not Yahweh. A God that is worthy of worship and adoration is all-powerful and is to be respected and is to be revered and is to be honored and is to be obeyed. That's right. But see, we've, we've taken the line of the tribe of Judah and we've tamed him into a house cat or a kitten that we can just pet and pay attention to when we want to. That's not God. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is to be revered. He is to be respected. He is the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the savior. He's worthy of your obedience. He's worthy of your respect. The people of Israel had forgot about his blessings and his obedience. And for 390 years, they had turned their back on God. Our nation has a rich history. Our nation, in fact, there's a lot of parallels between the United States of America and Israel. You don't even have to be a student of history to notice some interesting correlation. But dating back to the 1500s and 1600s, when the first Europeans came to the United States, or what has become the United States, from those days, fast forward to 1776 and the Declaration of Independence, War of 1812, throughout our history, the United States of America has been blessed by God, favored by God, had the hand of God upon it, and any secular historian, I'm not talking about a religious historian, any historian worth their salt will at least acknowledge and give credit that this nation truly has been a blessed Judeo-Christian society. But if you look at our history and then you look at our current events and you see in the 20th and 21st century so far how we have too turned our back on God. Are we so oblivious and are we like that proverbial ostrich with his head in the sand that we think we can turn our back on God and not suffer the consequences just as Israel did? Throughout the ages, God has tried to get our attention. 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, COVID. Other things that have happened that you sit there and think, just for a little bit, there was a glimpse that people are going to get right. That people are going to repent. That people are going to come back to church. I, I remember serving at Eastwood Baptist Church. And 9-11 uh, happened. And we were pulling chairs out of classrooms. The auditorium 
was packed. And people thought, man, a revival is about to break out. And oh, we were so close. You could sense people coming together and patriotism was on high. And we were unified against a, a common enemy. And we, we turned our faces and, 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 and we prayed. And, and, and you thought, oh man, we are right there at the edge of something. And then we went right back to the old routine. <clears throat> People of Israel had turned their back on God. And in the book of Ezekiel, God's about to bring them down. So here is my question to you as we close this morning. Are we so arrogant? Are we so busy? Maybe maybe it's not arrogance, maybe it's busyness. Are we so busy that we don't realize that all these times that God is trying to get our attention, if it doesn't work, then he'll find another way. Mm -hmm. If the things that he's trying to do don't draw us back to him, he'll find another way. And it won't be comfortable. The people of Israel forgot about God's blessings. They disobeyed. You and I have short-term memories. We forget. We take things for granted. So today, humble yourself. Think about all of his blessings. Think about his deliverance. Think about how good he's been. And then look. <laughs> Say, God, you got my attention. I humble myself before you. A God that is worthy of my worship and adoration is all-powerful, almighty, and God, I'm listening. And God, I'm looking. And God, I'm obeying That's what I want you to do. If you can say that honestly and sincerely, I want you to say, God, you got my attention. I'm listening, I'm looking, and I'm obeying. I get it. Because I want us to be the remnant. I want us to be the faithful few that are found. I want us to be like it is today. A little teaspoon of water kept a lot of people away, but you're here. You're here, and I respect that. I, there's always a faithful remnant throughout Israel's history and throughout America's history that God says, there they are right there. My faithful remnant. And He'll protect us. And so that's what I want you to do. I want you to be a part of the faithful few. I want you to be a part. Because here's what I believe as a preacher, as a pastor. I've been doing this for 23 years. I believe judgment is coming. He's trying to get our attention. And He is looking for a remnant. And I want to be found faithful. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Most Gracious Heavenly Father, this is the part of the service we call the invitation. We invite people to respond. We invite people to pray. We invite people to get right. We invite people to...